We want to welcome you to this week's podcast of Live Transform. This mm-hmm. is episode number 136. And believe it or not, we have Dr. Jim Richards with us today. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny every time. Is it? <laughs> yeah, for me it is. Because he's, he's never not been with us. I. That's true. <laughs> that's true. We got 136 now episodes to prove it. 100% chance of Dr. Jim being with us on this episode. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to know. If we could go back through all the years of us doing television and stuff, how oh many episodes we've done? Different episodes we've done over the years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could like hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds Hun- and hundreds. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And and if people ever want to go to mynewday.tv, uh-huh. all of the old TV shows there's are lots, there. With there's Bo- lots with of me, them there. Jim and Bob. Me, yeah. Bob and Jim. Jim, Bob and me. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So last week, that was so profound how we got to that point. Uh, of just really understanding um, the leadership that the, the frustration with mm-hmm. with the, with with the uh, Moses and with mm-hmm. Abraham, but then um, a dictator wants people to understand them, but a true leader seeks to understand the people they mm-hmm. are leading. Because for the last week, since we've been just letting that mull over, I'm just seeing how that applies to every single relationship. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, it, and then we also started, uh, you know, just even the concept of testing. Yes. Yep. And and how that has has been, you know, perverted and warped. Mm-hmm. And you know, God's just saying, follow me. Yes. And let me bring the fulfillment, you know, yep. of my promise. Another thing that really sticks out to me mm-hmm. from last week, Jim, just so you know what really lands, I'll tell you, the Hebrew word for life is experience and then you understand. Yep. And then yep. we just think many times in our Greek thinking or whatever. I've got to understand. We've got to understand it, and then before I can experience. before I can experience it. And you know, Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews says, "By faith we understand that the worlds were made." Da 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 da. It doesn't yeah. say we understand and then faith comes. Yes. And, and so we have this concept that if I will just gather enough information, faith will come. Mm-hmm. Well, no, really, that's not true. Deciding. What you believe about the character and the nature of God is what makes faith come. Oh, and I love the the other paradox, and I I wrote this a lot in my devotional, Wake Up Smiling, it's kind of based on this, is that the world thinking, logical thinking says seeing is believing, Yep. but it really is believing is seeing. Absolutely, yeah. It's sort of the same idea. Well, it's the same idea, but and it's, you know, to a person who's, who's, a one-dimensional thinker that's not slowing down enough to consider what they hear. And remember, yeah. you know, Jesus said, if you want to, if you want to create heart beliefs or create new heart beliefs, it's all based on how much you, how much consideration you give to what you hear. Are you pondering? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that look yeah. like? Uh, and, and so uh, as subtle as something like that is, you know, what do I believe? Do I believe that seeing is believing? You know, you know something, man, I just learned this the other day and I got to go back and do some research on it. There, you know, in your retina, there's a second part of the eye and I don't, and I'll, I may get this backwards. And this, mm-hmm. these two parts of your eyes, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's a kind of a lens, have to be in harmony for yeah. you to be able to see and understand what you're seeing. And, uh-huh. and one of them, like one of them works on information that you're getting from the brain. The other one works on emotion, your feelings. Are you serious? In your eye? In your physically? eye. There's these two aspects of how you see. Whoa. Man, that gave, that gave, wild. That gave incredibly, incredible insight to when Jesus wild. said, if your eye is single. 
Oh, you will my gosh. say this and this. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And he's that talking is about crazy. He's talking about you know the information and yeah. the emotion. If they are not in harmony, even if you're looking at something, you can't see it the way it is. And that you literally just said the, the equation of a belief: yeah. emotion plus information, plus information equals yeah. the belief. So you know. As, su- is- as subtle as these little nuances are, this is not about this is not about taking the simple and making it complex. This is just realizing how much complex truth there is in so many simple factors. And we, we don't have to know all these details. We could no. we could just decide to believe them. Yeah. And then if we believed them, then we would understand them. And then when you hear, find out something like this about the eye, yeah. biologically, then it's just a fun revelation. It's like, whoa, yeah. it's exactly what I've been experiencing. But yeah, it, does, actually... it doesn't make you believe it anymore. It doesn't make you have no, more faith. It just makes it a fun little fun fact. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That is, that is amazing. Hmm. Because if I take one concept, you know, for example, whenever his mercy's new every morning, that one has probably, I've got so many movies I've made about what mercy looks like yeah. in the morning. And if you ponder that every day to new levels, all mm-hmm. of a sudden mercy that's new every morning becomes something that it's not just information that has become right. an experience mm-hmm. and it changes all my relationships because if I've received a ton of mercy, I'm saturated and just completely filled to every thirsty part in me has received mercy, then I will just naturally be overflowing and giving that to everybody around me. And just a concept like that, one line, as you said, if you don't ponder and consider and go go with that one concept over and experience it, then it won't it won't impact your life. No, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Good. Right. Our direction for today. Tell me, Bob. We, well, we kind of, uh, <laughs> beforehand, we began to speak about, you know, let's seek to understand. Mm-hmm. And we and we want to uh, begin to take a look in, in a whole other way of what this compassion, yes, you know, really is, the compassion of, of God. And I thought, you know, last week was, was a great introduction to this, you know, in the mothering aspects. Yes. You know of of God's very nature, mm. and so often we want to see the power, the might, the strength, the force. Mm-hmm. You know the dominance and um, a, a, you know um, cre- creative ability. Yes, but there is this nurturing, this warmth, the holding, warmth. Oh. the comfort. Yes, the understand, and then comes this word understanding, feeling understood mm. by God. Oh. And and we concluded by saying God understands me. Yes. That's, see, that's I to- think for some people, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's totally contradictory to the authoritarian, uh, chauvinistic mentality about God. Because, you know, that, 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 that person says, no, we don't, you know, God doesn't have to understand us. We have to understand him. Well, no, really, that require, a relationship requires both. It's mutual. And, you know, the difference... It's really interesting. The dif- the difference between Moses, who for the whole 40-year journey, once he had this shift, this paradigm shift, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he experienced the goodness of God, then he was able to give goodness through compassion to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and let me say this. You know, I see a lot of people today living very compromised lives under the banner of 
well, I just know how much God loves me. Hmm. Well, no, really, you didn't experience the love of God. You came up with a theological definition because mm -hmm. anything you truly experience from God in your heart will transform you to begin to manifest and live in that same character. Yes. And so, you know, Moses didn't experience the, the goodness and compassion in God and go, you know what, I'll just... I'm going to beat everybody into the line. I know God's not going to get no. mad at me. No, because he actually experienced it. Then, then it became a part of who he was. It transformed him because we, trans, we are transformed to the degree that we see God as he is. And yes. so, so transformation, you, you know, is not about me just getting revelation. Transformation is about revelation moving me more into the likeness and the image of God as, as we were created to be. And so, and, and it's always this application, always you know, application. This, this is the application of the wisdom. Yeah. And, and we've said it again and again, don't just, you know, hear these podcasts just to get this little nugget. Oh, yeah. I know something that you don't know, but where's the transformation? It but, comes when you, you know, uh, apply see, it in see wisdom. God as he is. Mm -hmm. And see, be, yes, the more obsessed I, my, I only I use the word obsessed very carefully. The only thing I'm obsessed with is wisdom because I'm absolutely amazed at the power of of God's the nature yep. and character of His wisdom. And so, the more I am moving towards and and pondering and considering His wisdom and learning and and gain it deep into my experience, the more I want to make good choices. So, oh yeah. You know what I mean? I just find myself not trying to make good choices. I just naturally move towards good choices. So what you said there about, you know, I do this compromised living because God loves me that much. Well, well, that doesn't make any sense to how it works, how God's word breathes. Well, that, that's like saying, us. man, my wife loves me so much. I, I think I can commit adultery and get by with it. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, that's, really, that's really is that good for relationship? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a good point. So, so, you know, right now in America, I don't know how it is in other parts of the world. Now, I'm seeing, based on what I'm seeing on Facebook and other places, it's the same as it is around the world. The meanest Christians today are among groups of people who proclaim to have a revelation of grace and the love of God. That's the meanest, most intolerant people. It's like dealing with liberals. You know, liberals claim to be the voice of compassion, and they're the, they're the meanest political base in the world mm. because they're only tolerant of people who agree with them. And mm. so you always know that when, when someone says they have a revelation from God and it does not improve their character, when they are not giving what they say they... And the problem is they just have information. They're not receiving it. They're not really mm -hmm. experiencing their own heart. So they're not experiencing transformation. So all that happens is they become more haughty in their opinions. They become more self-righteous uh, because they think they're more right than everybody else. And, it and becomes, I think what, and yes, yeah, sorry. And then I think one of the biggest right. fruit of what you're talking about is our relationships. Oh, yeah. We can take a look at our relationships and understand if the, if the wisdom and the compassion and goodness of God is living through our lives. Yeah. I really think so because it's all about love and, mm -hmm. and, and, the, and God is love and the message is love. And if, if we love, then we're, if the, if we love the people around us, that means we love God. If we're not loving, then we're not knowing him at all. No. Uh, exactly. And that word no means experiencing. 
Yes, right. Yeah. So I think I interrupted you. Did I interrupt you? No, 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 no. We were on the same track. So you know, okay. Moses is is out here, and, and like we were talking about last week, he has this transformational encounter with God because mm-hmm. because remember he's got this idea of the glory of God, like say you know being the male dominant power force and all this kind of stuff, and so he has he sees God as he is, and by seeing him as he is, he discovers that God's greatest power is not his force. It's not his wrath. It's his goodness. You know, I always, I tell you the scripture that in my early days as a believer that helped shape me making this journey the way that I've made it was you in the book of James where it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And I can remember just reading that verse and realizing you mean that and really, if I'd understood the Old Testament more, uh, I would have known this. But it was a, sort of like you mean if I were in the Old Testament and I were and I was able to go behind the veil into the holy place, mm-hmm. I would not find a judgment seat. I would find a mercy seat. Well, that's exactly what the Hebrew Bible taught us. And if anybody had believed this down through history. Uh, they would have known that God's greatest manifestation of power is not his judgment, it's his mercy. Yeah. But keep in mind, corrupt people who wanted to use religion to control other people twisted everything God said into some legalistic concept. And, you know, Bob, you and I were talking about it last week, off, you know, off air. How many preachers now are rejecting the Old Testament? Yeah. Now, if you're rejecting the Old Testament from a concept of saying, you know, you know, all all truth began with Jesus, not only are you stupid, you are rejecting who Jesus is. You are rejecting the Word of God. You are falling into the category of what the Bible calls iniquity, and a person who falls into iniquity is the one person that God says you can't recover. Hmm. Because truth is the only thing that can recover you when you get off the rails. Everything that Jesus taught, everything came right out of what we call the Old Testament. Yep. Everything that Paul taught, everything that he Jesus taught. He quoted it. Jesus quoted it. I mean, it, yeah. how, I mean, that's just a telltale right there. But if we had believed what God said instead of how religion interpreted the Old Testament, the world never would have gotten into the mess that it's in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Israel would, would have never fallen. And uh, I mean, th- this all would have worked the way God intended for it to work, but, mm-hmm. but they didn't do that. They did not use the interpretive context that God provided. They just made it up as they went. And even just um, what you've helped me use as far as words is even the Ten Commandments and just helping people to say, you know what, a better translation of that would be the Ten Prescriptions for how to love and love others and have life work for you. Just that word alone says... Oh, really? Like, so God isn't that person with its using force? It's like, you know what I'm saying? Just when you say that, I just a quick example of how to help someone in one second rather than trying to, you know, bring understanding. You know, I'm telling you, this sounds awful strong, but but I mean it. If If you ever think someone who rejects the Old Testament, if you think they are have revelation and they're insightful, I'm telling you, 
you better run. You better stop listening to them because you can't even understand who Jesus is without the Old Testament. You can't understand what happened at the cross without the Old Testament. And Paul's revelation of Jesus was not something that God gave him different than and independent of the scripture. Paul didn't, Paul didn't go away and just sit in a cave somewhere and, and, and meditate and wait, you know, and come up with something new. Uh, this was based on the fact that he could quote the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The fact that everything he knew about God was based on the scripture. And, and basically what happened is whatever little he had learned about Jesus teaching, he began to understand how to interpret everything that God said yeah. through what Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. which was what God really uh, originally intended. So anyhow, you know, so here's the thing. In order to be compassionate, in mm. order to shift from this, I'm an angry preacher, I'm an angry parent, I'm yeah. an angry Christian, in order to, to shift from that, you have to experience the goodness of God to a greater level than you're experiencing. You know when we in, or, in order yeah in order for mercy to triumph over judgment yeah absolutely because okay? we're not saying that injustice hasn't happened right no 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 okay? no no but in order to shift and be compassionate yeah you must begin to experience the goodness and kindness of God yeah and at a level okay. greater than you have it currently experience it. Yeah. And let me tell you, you're not through discovering the goodness and kindness of God until you glow in the dark. That's a quote. That's such a good quote. Well, you can, you you can tell me again? all day long about how much you understand about it. Well, let me tell you something. There's always more for me to, to grow into. I'm not talking about to learn. I'm talking about to grow into so that it changes. Because, because you know, if you're not glowing in the dark <laughs> to some degree, then, then you're not experiencing it. If you, uh, well, let, let me tell you how Jesus said that. I absolutely Here's love that. Here's the way Jesus that. said that. Okay. You are the light of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. are glowing in the dark like Moses did, providing light because the light is when we realize how good God is. That's what the good news is. We realize how good God is. But but I, here's the interesting thing, and I don't know how long it'll take us to get there. But God defined His goodness so that you did not get into humanism, liberalism, or socialism. And you say, socialism? God wasn't worried about socialism. Oh, let me tell you what. Humanism was born in the fall of man. And socialism is the son of humanism. And so, yeah, God sort of had... All pagan religions are based on the same philosophies of humanism, socialism, that we are seeing in the world today. They just use religious terminology. Well, and so, you know, th- th- okay. So I know you're following the rule, no. but I'm still back. I'm still back on this glow in the dark oh, thing. You are, yeah, you're ready oh, to glow. Oh my gosh, that was so inspiring <laughs> to me because we have not grown until we are actually glowing in the dark. We haven't truly experienced. No. There's always more. There's more to more experience and more and more to experience. I just had to tell you though, Jim. You know, you you had the eye story. You know, to say something yeah. physical. That, that relates to biblical. So Bob and I were in Perth, Australia a couple of weeks ago. And we went, this was so cool, Jim. We went to the Mint where they make money, but it was the original one in Perth because Perth, Australia was a big gold center. And we went to what they called a gold pour. And so we went to this gold pour where they turned out the lights. They had the furnace there like from the old, from way back when. It was like just like you went back in time but they took these huge big levers 
and they pour, they turned all the lights off and they poured, have you ever seen poured gold? In South Africa, but I don't think like this. I don't think like what okay. you described. Okay, in the dark, this gold was a color that you cannot humanly describe and the light that shone, it was beyond glow, it was like, it was beyond fluorescent, and it was, it looked like it had to be fake, it had to look like it was from space, do you know what I'm saying? And in the dark, it glowed, and I think of all the references to being refined as, and being gold, and Mm. and, and glowing, and when you said glow in the dark, I thought, Mm. I saw what it looked like to have a natural element yeah. glow in the dark like I've never seen a That's color powerful. like that I love before. The, I, I, I'm going to have to look on YouTube see if I can find a video of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what I saw was, uh, I didn't see them pouring gold. But, uh, we were in these gold mines yeah. and, and they turned off the light and it wasn't nearly as profound as that because gold it doesn't even look the same when it's still in a vein. But, right. still, but still it creates a different kind of light. Mm-hmm. It is, and you can't really capture it on video because, I mean, we've tried to video it, we've looked at oh, videos, really? but it, it's just one of those things that you just can't even. Yeah. Like, Again, it, you have to experience, it's an experience it. And that's back to what we're talking about. You yeah. have to experience something, mm-hmm. you, so, and then you start to understand and it. And then you're transformed. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah so, so, so that's my question is, you know, is your, is your concept of the goodness of God, does it make you a light in the darkness? Does it, does, does it, does it make it where other people see and experience God the way he really is? Or does it give you something to preach about so that people are astounded at your insight and your revelation? Which one, Who does or, it exalt? Right, and we want to be like that gold, but we're glowing in the dark to the point where people are freaking out when they meet us. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, I mean, that's so inspiring to know God to that mm-hmm. level and to experience Absolutely. his goodness and experience his compassion and kindness oh. to that level. So, you know, you know, God models something for us here with Moses. He models this concept. And, and remember, experiencing the goodness of God, I mean, it, I mean, everything, faith, everything comes out of this. But in this concept here, it transformed Moses into a compassionate man. Mm-hmm. And so, so in order for me to be compassionate, truly compassionate, I have to go back here and, and I have to have I have to understand or have an experience or you know or something akin to what Moses experienced. Because you know, I don't want to just come out of this and be a good man. Because a good man can be a good man unto himself. He can be a good man that is really not influencing and affecting people around him in a positive way. You know, uh, we talked about this, Bob and I were talking about this just before we came on. You know, I don't know how many times it is, you know, maybe about five times in the New Testament or in the Gospels where, where it says, like in, in, in Matthew 9, 36, it says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he yeah. was right. moved with compassion. And many times when he worked miracles, many times when he did phenomenal things, it tells us he was moved with compassion. Now, compassion is born out of a revelation that makes you first see, experience how good God is. But then that, when you start understanding the goodness of God, then you start understanding people and their struggles, that goodness and what God offers. And it, it brings you to this place of understanding people, which, which causes you, if you truly understand people and understand God, it causes you to move with compassion. Now, we were laughing about it. This is literally 
Oh boy, here we go. This is literally the Greek uh, uh, meaning of the words used, move with compassions. To have the bowels yearn. So it is a movement. It is a it is <laughs> like the compelling of a bowel movement. Wow, we've all felt that. You know, yeah, I mean I mean, you know, God uses these natural things to teach us. They're yeah. funny. I mean, we make you know, we yeah. laugh, make light of it, and, but but stop and think about it. When you begin to have the yearning of a bowel movement, you're gonna take action. <laughs> No, True. really. You can't help yourself. You cannot help yourself. You cannot help yourself. You're gonna. Right. You're, you're gonna have to take action, and that's and pretty. The, yeah, that's pretty severe. That's real. Yeah, and the only other thing you can do. I had a guy come to me one time in my clinic. He said, "Man, I have a terrible co problem with constipation." I was like, solving constipation usually isn't a problem." I said, "So, so tell me about it. Tell me about the situation." Mm -hmm. He said, "Well, I'm usually just so busy that that when I need to go, I just hold it." I said, oh, wait a minute. So you're not, it's not your diet? In other, words, you, in other words, your body is trying to get you to go and you're holding it. He said, yeah. And he said, so how can I cure that? And I said, it's easy. Go to the bathroom. Go, go, go to the bathroom. <laughs> sit, on the sit on the toilet when you know you got to go. And uh, I don't know what he was looking for, but I mean, he, he was hoping I would find him some way to not have to stop doing what he was doing and go to the bathroom. Well, if, if you <laughs> if you don't let compassion... You are a miracle worker. If you don't let the the yearning for a bowel movement if yeah. you do not let this that. go naturally yeah. and let it you follow this yearning then you end up constipated so basically what we have i was uh, 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 me and angela were talking about this yesterday i think it was it's like well you know there it is there's the problem with the whole with the whole christian community today is you got you got constipated christians they never let what's happening between them and god move them to action but I'll go a step farther than that. They're not really experiencing anything from God because if they did, this would become something that that they just had to they had to respond to. You know, if if you never want to minister to people, I can tell you this: you're not experiencing God. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you're right. never experiencing God. If you're never overwhelmed by the needs of people, you know, people who don't want to give. Like, like one of the stupidest questions people used to ask is like, so is, is tithing Old Testament or New Testament? Well, the, you're asking the wrong question. The real question is, is compassion Old Testament or New Testament? Because if you're giving to help people in response to compassion, it ain't got anything to do with tithing. It ain't got anything to do with Old Testament. Right. It ain't got right. anything to do with Testament. It's just got to do with whether you're a cheapskate or not. And and if you care about people, there's going to be situations in life where you just look at it and you just say you just say I got I got to help finance this. I got to do something. Yeah, yeah. Got to do something. So you're either going to go minister to them, you're going to yeah. get involved, you're going to find ways to help, and or mm -hmm. you're going to give financially. Right. And, and if you're never you know if you're never moved to give, then I'm mm -hmm. telling you, you're either not experiencing God at all, or you're like this guy that when he had to go, he just found some way to to squeeze tight enough that nothing came out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to be crude. No, that, no, no. But, I'm getting it. But that's the biblical picture that we have. Mm -hmm. So, so Jim, I, I want to move, you know, to this this place to seek to understand. Yep. So, so we have Jesus, you know, seeing the multitude and being moved with compassion. You know, one one of the, my definitions in the way that I've seen this is that 
I see you in your present you know, situation. I see you in your present circumstances. And Jesus, being moved with compassion, says, I'm unwilling for you to remain the way that you are. Yeah. And so I'll move towards you in such a way that when you experience me, you, 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 can, you can go away different. You can go away healed. You can go away seeing. Well, you I'm know, you, you can meet Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. yeah. You can meet Jehovah Jireh, whatever the need is, he can meet it. Yes. Right. I'm unwilling to leave you in your distress, your despair, yeah. uh-huh. your pain, because I'm going to hold you. Yeah. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to nurture you. I am going, you can, you have the avail, the invitation to experience me where, where I'm not going to let you right, go. Right. Because I have, I have something. You know, you know the expression, the mama bear, right? Like I get to talk about this because I'm a mama and you guys aren't, but there is something about a mama bear that is a unique thing that I will stop everything to protect and nurture my kids if you come at them. You know what I mean? It's different than a a guy thing. It's more of a extreme. But guys can have it just like God has that. Right, exactly, exactly. It's just more natural for you. It's natural for a mama bear to say, there's no way I'm leaving you like this. I'm going to move towards Mm. you until you do feel loved. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm going to keep loving you. You know, in Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14, it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're just dust. Now, of course, yeah. you know, legalists read that. Unfortunately, liberal, liberals read that and go, oh, fear. Oh, so you got to be afraid of God. Oh, okay, no. You know, we've talked about this down through time. When the, the, the literal translation of fear of God is, is, is a, a reverence, a respect, and an awe that leads to love, trust, and worship. Mm-hmm. The, but in a, uh, uh, that's a translation, but uh, um, an interpretation, and this is the way the Jews looked at it, would be that you so valued your relationship with God that you feared doing damage to that relationship Correct. more than you feared mm-hmm. anything else. That's exactly else. it, yeah. And so he's saying, you know, these people who really want God and they're struggling, that you know... Uh, I saw on Fox News the other day where I, I don't remember the guy's name. He's coming out with a book about Johnny Cash, and his and his faith walk, and mm-hmm. he and he said that uh, you know uh, that Johnny Cash you know was a a man that knew he was flawed, and, and he's he said Johnny Cash himself used to say, well, there's two men. One is Johnny. He's the one that wants to serve God. And he said then there's Cash, and that's the one that gives me all the trouble. <laughs> but this guy just talked about Johnny Cash. Like you know, he was friends with Billy Graham. He would appear in crusades with Billy Graham. But then the next mm-hmm. thing you know, he's getting arrested for drugs. You know, and, and mm-hmm. so he he had his whole life struggle. So you you know, we we have this tendency to look at people like that and try to stereotype or categorize them and their flaws and pass judgments about whether they're really Christians or not and all that kind of stuff. Well, God says, you know what? There's a lot of people who really struggle with their desire to not mess up their relationship with God, but, but, but they keep messing themselves up. And he mm-hmm. says, he says, I pity on you, but here, but he says, but I also remember that you're really just dust. 
Now, this is not a put down. This is just saying, I understand mm. where you came from. I understand mm. how you got to where you are. Yeah. Now, in, in current socialistic, humanistic liberalism, there is this concept that says, if, you know, that understanding brings compassion and compassion means we change the rules. Compassion means we change the rules? It means we change the rules. Yeah, okay. Expand on that. Okay, so, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about how that personal responsibility is the golden thread to everything right. about the gospel of the kingdom, everything mm -hmm. Jesus ever taught. Mm -hmm. So, you know, personal responsibility is not personal blame. Personal responsibility says I make choices, and even no matter who influenced me, no matter what happened outside of me, I made the choice to have this kind of life. I made the choice. I made the choice to eat the kind of food that I got now. I've got now. I'm, I'm way overweight, and I've got all kind. Of, I've got right. diabetes. I'm sick, and all this kind of stuff. Or you know, and I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying. I'm just saying responsibility says I made the choices that ultimately got my life where it is. Mm -hmm. Now, blame would say we're going to blame you for that. So blame always calls for punishment. You know, it always says somebody's got to pay the price and da, 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 da. Responsibility just says I will own my decision making process so that that's the only basis that I can start making new decisions. Now, Freud Freudian psychology was all, or psychiatry was all based on the rejection of the word of God. He was, he was an atheist. He, he hated God and he, in his own words, you know, he was a godless Jew who everything that he did was driven by sex. Hmm. And, and, you know, we know now that he, a lot of his research was, was fraudulent. He never did it. He just, he just took his Made opinions yeah. and, and created false outcomes, false research, you know, information. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know, to Freud, all problems revolved around sex. So basically if we had sexual liberation where all people just had any kind of sex they wanted, all kinds of sex that they wanted with absolutely nobody saying it was right or wrong, the world would become a wonderful place. Hmm. And, and so, and so Freud, along with many other people said, okay, we are influenced by society. And by the way, this is why our judicial system is totally out of whack now. This is why murder is on the rise. This is why violent crime is on the rise. This is why every kind of crime is pretty much on the rise, is because we, we've bought into this humanistic, socialistic, godless concept that says, all right, if society influences you to get here, and society being your parents, your, where you went to mm -hmm. school, you know, the church, anything in society, if it influenced you to get to where you are at your current state of crazy or dysfunction, dysfunctionality, then you are not responsible. You didn't do this. Therefore, it would be unfair and unjust uh. to have a civil, uh, a legal system that penalized you for what you did. Because, because wow. society is what got you there. Right. You know, you, you know, people say, well, why are we having an increase? You know, I, I listen to these politicians. And they talk about crime and stuff. And I'm like, uh, you're a bunch of idiots. 
that sit around in college classrooms talking about something, then you, you never live the life I've lived. You right. Never, you never run out. You know, I told this story one time, Bob, that back, I don't know, earlier in the year where, where years ago, when you guys first got to know me, I was doing a program with a, you know, with uh, you and 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 Audrey's dad, and you know, we were or who who I don't remember who was hosting it, but anyhow, so we were taking a break between programs, and and y'all knew my testimony, knew where I came from, and I came from violence and all this kind of stuff, and uh, there was a group of you guys over there debating. I don't know if you were in the debate, but I but I, there were a few guys over debating uh, the validity of capital punishment. And so at some point in time, I heard some, and I just wanted to stay out of it because I knew Canadians had a totally different take on that than, you know, than Americans. And, and so I just wanted to stay out of it. So I just, so, so finally one of them said, let's ask Jim, you know, he got this, he got this criminal background. Let's ask him. And so (laughs) he's got the criminal background. Yeah. So they, so they called me over there and said, well, what about it, Jim? What do you think? Do you, and it was like, you know, capital punishment doesn't, really deter crime does it and i said well the last time i had a gun sticking in somebody's mouth and was considering killing them on the spot the only thing that stopped me is in those days i would have been put to death hmm. and and then I, I then i think i said i said and the last person that threatened to kill me said to me i don't mind spending a couple of years in prison to kill you Law is for the lawless. I'm talking about civil law. Law, the realm of law is for the lawless. Lawless people do not stop hurting people because we treat them better. Lawless people stop hurting people when they understand they will have to pay a price. Yeah, yeah. So... That's why I say we think that understanding means we change the rules for every person based on the degree that they were influenced by other people and based on the, how their parents treated them growing up. And, and the real truth is that should give us compassion. Understanding how people got where they got should mm-hmm. give us compassion. Yes, yeah. yes. Because, because we understand them. And so yes. that, that kind of brings you to, and, and I'll tell you, this gets, this is going to, if we decide to stay with this very long and we start looking at the justice of God, it, it, it's going to be kind of a mind bender. But, but so, so in Exodus 34, seven, when God is telling about the attributes of his goodness and, you know, he starts out with compassion and, and uh, he goes into uh, grace, being gracious, being slow to anger, abundant in kindness and truth preserving kindness to thousands of generations and you know da, da, da. so so he goes through all of this and then he gets down here and says you know I'll forgive the iniquity and I'll forgive you know deliberate sin all he gives you all these things that he'll forgive then all of a sudden he says I'll keep mercy for thousands for uh, forgiving iniquity transgression and sins but by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And then you read that and you go, what? What? You're, wait a minute, you've been just been telling me how good you are and how compassionate you are. Now you're saying you're going to visit the iniquity of 
the children on the third and fourth generations. Now, this is where we get the concept of generational curses. Yeah. Yes. Now, yes, all yes. of a sudden, because of my choices, my children will pay for, for my wrongdoing. And my children's children. Right. Yep. Third, fourth generation. <clears throat> and so, so then we look at breaking these generational curses. Yeah. And then we develop this whole thing about binding the devil, spiritual warfare. You know, people send me stuff all the time that are just different versions of breaking generational curses. Yeah. And it's what can I do to appease an angry God? Yeah. That's that's really yeah. what it is. How, how am I going to get God? Because what they're saying is God is visiting the iniquity on us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, part of this starts with, number one, not understanding the word iniquity, because iniquity is not an individual sin as much as it is an attitudinal issue. Mm-hmm. Because iniquity is when you twist or reject the word of God and God's definitions of morals, ethics, values, what love is, what justice is, and that sort of thing. And so you you twist it or reject it or redefine it or, or make it say something else. So iniquity is something that is learned. Mm-hmm. It is not an action that is committed against you. It is not necessarily any particular action that you commit against somebody else. It is a mindset. It is, it is a set of beliefs and values that you learn from your parents. So mm. God is not going to force the iniquity of parents, the, the, the unbelief, the wicked beliefs, the wicked ideas of the parents. He's not going to make your children, your children's children have those beliefs. No. He's doing everything he can to get you to believe that he's a good God. And because, yes. the, because at the end of the day, see, you can't accept God's justice unless you trust completely that he's good and he's only good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, if you if you see iniquity says no I'm gonna I'm gonna judge God's goodness on my morals and values and my definitions of justice my definition of kindness my definition of love so you know you look at this scripture and you go what right mm-hmm. well the reality of it is any clown that's read the Bible knows that three different times God says the children cannot be punished. For the sins of the parents. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, either God's a liar or he's a schizophrenic or maybe there's something I'm not getting here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this scripture, uh, uh, Dennis Prager, Prager University, you know, Jewish University, uh, he translates this. And really, when you do a little bit of research, you come to this pretty quick. What this really says in the Hebrew is not that God will re- will visit the iniquity of the fathers. It says He will remember. Now this ah, is this is really important. This is a very yeah, very this is our, very this is our Psalm one hundred and three. He will uh, remember. Yeah, the song, yeah that yeah hundred Psalm one hundred and three reveals that. Yep. So yep. He's saying, let's say. The second and third, why didn't God just wipe out the children of Israel? What, you know, and, and even after they came into the, uh, to the land, now they got themselves in trouble and they were the ones that caused by their own doings to end up going into captivity. But, you know, why didn't God just at some point just say, I am sick of you, I'm going to kill you. Here's why. I remember 
that the, now listen, this is really key. Yeah. I remember that it is the father's iniquity being visited on the children and the children's children. In other words, this is not God bringing something to you. This is where parents model and teach kids things that then become those children's beliefs and cultures and ideas, and then they teach it to theirs. And one of the things that we now know, beliefs that are passed on by the, by the third or fourth generation, we come into the world hardwired through our cellular memory to, to already think that way. Mm-hmm. So what God is That's saying, exactly right. he says, look, I keep mercy to thousands and thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgressions and sin, but I don't clear. I don't, in other words, I, I don't clear this. You know, he's saying, I'm, I'm not a socialist. I don't, I don't just wipe this out because of these influences, but I am in my dealings with these future generations I'm going to be compassionate to them because I'm going to re- I'm going to remember they didn't get this way by themselves. Exactly. I'm really hearing you. So this is a this is a lot of compassion. Oh, this is a this lot is a of lot of understanding. This is a lot of mercy. Yes, mm-hmm. you are this way, but I see how it happened. Mm-hmm. I see that you were yeah. hardwired generation after generation. I I'm I'm giving mercy for that. Yeah. But see, the liberal the worker of iniquity, the, the, the person who functions in iniquity says, all right, then. So I don't trust that God's good, so I'm not going to look at his version of justice. If, if I'm going to have a compassion and my compassion is going to say, okay, your parents got you here, your culture got you here. So the real truth is you are not responsible. Hmm. And so then this, this goes to the heart of everything that's wrong with the world in that mm-hmm. we were created in the likeness and the image of God and we were given authority so, and to make choices. And that we, you know, we become who we choose to become, it, you know, not because it's our fault, usually because it is the culture that we're in. But if we reject personal responsibility, then we... We say, so I'm going to release you back on society so that now you can inflict future generations. So, there, so this, this, this compassion that, the, that, you know, that, that socialism has, this compassion says, so I'm going, to, I'm going to have more compassion for you and your dysfunction than I am for the innocent. There, in, in, today's, in today's political justice mentality there is no protection for the innocent hmm. there is protection you know i saw an interesting and thing. so and so jim this is this is where uh you're saying uh where a, a false understanding so if I'm, I'm if i'm just wanting to understand and then i go into changing the rules is is that what you're talking well, about? It, this is this is where then we just want to change the rules in this. Yeah, it's not a fa- necessarily a false understanding because you know right now, the the you know the socialist, humanist, uh, uh, Luciferian part of the world, yeah, they get it right. God says, 
your iniquity that you're in is the result of your culture, your parents, how you were trained, you uh -huh. know, what you were taught. They get that part right. Yeah. But rather than then embracing because, because they reject morality, they reject mm -hmm. God's morality. They are not interested. They do not want a moral world. They do not want an ethical world. They want a They don't world want his version of goodness. That, yeah, yeah, they want a world that gives power to the elite. They, they're not even, you know, some of the people at the lower levels are really trying to be good people, but the, but the power brokers, they understand this is not about being good. This is about us seizing power. So, so we're, not really, we're not really interested in you changing. We're not really interested in protecting the innocent. We are interested in looking like we are the compassionate ones so you will so you will give your power to us you'll trust us we're compassionate we are the ones that didn't send you to prison you, you know there was a, a a guy a couple ran over a old couple was walking down the road right here behind our building car comes flying down the road a drunk driver hits and kills both of those people those two drunk drivers were out of jail before those two old people were buried as it turned out they had more than, more. I think it was like 20, 25 uh, uh, times they had been written up for drunk driving. So in, in, the, in the iniquity version of mercy, we show mercy to the offender because they can't help that they became an offender. But we have no mercy for the victim. You know, is it mercy... When a person murders somebody, let, let, let's say there's a man who's got a family and, you know, he's got three or four small kids. And, and so somebody murders him. Now, not, not only, it's not, just, it's not just the fact that he's not going to be there for his kids the rest of his life. He's not going to be there for his wife. What's going to happen to him economically? Well, you got a young wife, three or four kids. Suddenly she, she, she loses her house. Her kids grow up in poverty. They don't ever get to get to go to college or get to develop themselves in any meaningful way. Then they turn out to be criminals who hate the world because of, of what happened. So was it merciful to let the murderer have no consequences other than maybe going to jail a couple of years? Was that merciful what, to the family who lost a father and an income? And their lives, was that merciful? No, it was merciful and there was understanding given to the, the, the criminal, to the, to the person who com committed the act. And it's all justified under the guise of, well, see, society got him this way. His parents were alcoholics. And what, do you, what do you expect, you know? And so, uh, but, but God says, I will understand and I will be compassionate. So God offers a solution. And this is, you know, we'll come back and visit this later if we decide to, you know, visit this more in depth when we look at God's justice. God says now, he says, now I'm merciful. You know, I'm forgiving. But I am not telling you that I clear the guilty. Even though I understand. You know, I always think about the guy, there was a guy that came to my church and his brother murdered his girlfriend and his brother was a police officer. And so 
when this starts hitting the news that this guy was a well, actually before it hit the news that he was a suspect, the brother that came to our church got him to start coming to church with him. Well, all he was really doing is trying to change his profile in case this came out. So, you know, he starts coming to church and, and he's coming to church for, for weeks. And then suddenly it hits the news that he's the, he's the top suspect in the, and I mean, it was a brutal murder. He, he using a pocket knife, he almost severed her head completely off of her body. I mean, that's a lot of violence right there. Yeah. And so, and so, um, you know, I never took a stand one way or another. Never said anything about it one way or the other. And so one, this is way back there. So one Wednesday night, you know, I, I get a call from the brother that the police officer that turned out to be the murderer. And he says, you know, Jim, I'm probably not going to come to church tonight. He said, you know, this is uh, getting so public. It's, it's just going to hurt your church, your church's reputation. So I'm going to probably stay away. And I said, well, here's the deal. If you want to stay away, stay away. If you're going to stay away because you're afraid of how it's going to hurt us, we are here to help people. You know, well, I don't really care what the city thinks about us. I don't care what anybody thinks about us. If people need help, we're here to help them. And I said, and, uh, and, and so I never based that on him being guilty or innocent. Just do you want to be here or not? Are you getting help? So I, his brother then called me just right before church started and said, Jim, you know what, you, you know, you need to stand up and you need to speak out for Scott. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know, as his pastor, you need to be standing up for him, letting the congregation know that he's not guilty. And uh, I said, oh. I said, okay. I said, you know, but I, I said, I told him he wants to come to church, come to church. I, I'm not going to reject him, you know. So they came, they came to church that night. And um, um, we go through our, you know, our whole service. And so at the end of the service, you know, I said, uh, I said, you know, you guys know that Scott is being portrayed on the news as the number one suspect in this crime for murdering, for murdering his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, and his brother called me today and said it was time for me to speak out. So I said, here's, I'm going to speak out about, about this, about his innocence or guilt. So I just looked at him and said, Scott, I don't know if you killed her or not. I said, but here's what I do know. If you killed her, you deserve to die for it because that's what the word of God says. I said, but I do want you to know that if you are found guilty, you know, God will give you mercy. You know, you, you need to pay to protect society, but you don't need to pay to protect God or to, you know, satisfy God's wrath. And right. I said, I said, if you're guilty, I'm not going to change how I feel about you. And if they've, you know, if you get sentenced to the, to get the electric chair, I said, I'll walk you, I'll walk you down the aisle and I'll be sharing the love of God with you every step of the way so that when you cross over, you cross over with peace. And mm -hmm. I said, so I, I don't know if you're guilty or not, but I'm just telling you that has nothing to do with whether or not I'm going to be kind to you. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day he went and confessed. Wow. Well, you see, not just, not just the world, but Christians don't know how to be compassionate to guilty people. We think we either have to give them a pass and declare them innocent or declare them guilty and give them a punishment. But what we really, it really doesn't matter. It's just like when, you know, when I pastored, man, you'd have some couple in your church going through a divorce. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes my leaders would come and say, well, who are we going to side with? <laughs> 
Exactly. That's it. Whose side are you going to yeah. take? And I'm like, I'm not going to take either one of them's side. No. And, I, and they would say, well, what do we do? I said, we, whoever wants the help will stay. And even if it's the innocent person who gets so angry and bitter that they leave because we won't come out against their spouse, then we can't help that person. I can only help the person who's willing to stay. And, you know, a lot of times we used to make arrangements like you can come to the morning service, you can come to the Friday night service, just so you all avoid each other so that you can continue. But we never, we never took a side. We just said, we're going to be offering to you. So, see, when God says, I'm not going to clear the guilty, He's saying, I've got options for you. Option number one, this has nothing to do with the civil order. This has to do with the spiritual internal workings. Option number one is this. You can come to me, you can own this, and you can repent. And remember, repentance is not as much about the, the sin you commit as it is about believing in the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. So Romans 2, 4 says, it's the goodness of God brings you to repentance. So if it's goodness that brings you to repentance, then obviously you're changing your mind about the goodness, not just about some particular sin. And, and so, you know, we won't, he says, you can, come to, you can come to repentance and you can experience my mercy. I will help you. I will develop you. You know, I will help you become a new person. I will empower you. I'll work in your life. Or uh, you can refuse that and one day you'll have to stand before me in judgment. Because you rejected the forgiveness I'm offering. You rejected the mercy that I'm offering. You rejected to own your sin and, and, uh, and walk out of this. So God's justice, again, says it's your choice. You can, you can choose to face me now and experience mercy, or you can face me one day and be judged by your works. So uh, the compassion of God and the justice of God, see, see in this realm that we live in, all factors, whether physical, emotional, spiritual, all factors have a complementary opposite. In other words, this is what I always tell people. Until you understand a truth within the paradox, you never understand the truth. You either, either understand one right. side or the other. Right. Well, God juxtaposes truth over against mercy. See, mercy without truth always leads to liberalism, passivity, and that sort of thing. Truth without mercy always leads to legalism, harsh judgments, and that sort of thing. So we always have to have truth and mercy or we won't come to justice. We will, we will either go too hard legal, too hard factual, or we'll go too, hard, too soft uh, 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 mercy and, 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 you know, no accountability. So in order for there to be justice, there ha- you can't just say, man, you know what, you know what, I, I know this guy did this, but I, I just think we need to give him a pass. Really? So what does that do for the innocent? Does that protect the innocent? What does that do for all the people out there who are contemplating committing that same act of violence against somebody and going, oh, well, he got away with it, so evidently it's all right. You know, that is the number one deterrent to crime is the accountability of the person that commits the act. And, and, you know, interestingly, 
You know, we think that one of the most brutal things and legalistic things that God ever said was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that goes back to people not understanding the Word of God. The, the Hammurabi Code, which was what most of the world at that time lived by, said it was just that if somebody, let's say somebody comes up and kills your, your daughter, mm-hmm. then it was just for you to not just kill that person, but to kill their entire family or, or wipe out their entire village. That was considered righteous and just, justifiable. That was justice in the ancient world. And God said no. When he said an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, he, th- there's a lot of interesting values in that. But the number one thing that he is saying there is the punishment for a per- the accountability for the person that commits the act the scope of the accountability can be no greater than the scope of the offense. In other words, in other words, if, if they killed your son, you can't go kill his whole family. You can't go kill his whole village. But that's that that person that killed your son does need to pay with his life. Or whatever it is that you intended to do to somebody, even, even if you don't get by with it, that should be your penalty. You can't make the penalty greater than you know, than the offense. And so that this was one of the most, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, this was one of the most just things that the ancient world had ever had ever considered. Mm-hmm. And an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the number one deterrent for crime. It's the number, it would, it's the number one deterrent to frivolous lawsuits. If I have to pay, if I try to sue you, Right, right. And it's found out that I'm wrong. I have to pay you what I was trying to fraudulently, fraudulently Whoa. get from you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Jim. I think today many people, you know, are just having a lot of new thought. Yeah. And it's not just about civil order and, and the world that we're living in. But even their um, their view of God, yeah, and and the, and he this this God of peace, this God of order, the the justice of God, mm-hmm. and people are are beginning to boy, I, I God, I didn't see you this way, yeah, and and I have really brought my own personal, you know, interpretations yeah. of what mercy would be like. Mm-hmm. You know of what justice would look like, mm-hmm. and and I've misjudged you, and in doing so, I've misjudged others. You know, I had a Christian lawyer one time. I, uh, you know, I told you about this several years ago. Mm-hmm. We had an accountant that that embezzled a, a, around three hundred thousand dollars from right. us, and so she went to a Christian lawyer. And, and you know, my position on this was number one: that wasn't my money; that was money that people contributed. I do not have the right to go say, oh, it's all right, you stole us, we're just going to forget it, you know. I, didn't, right. I don't have that right. Second thing is, based on the Word of God, if I let her get by with this, she'll do this again somewhere else. Yeah, right. And, I, and so she went and found her a Christian lawyer, and this guy, this idiot, had the audacity to contact me and tell me that I was in judgment because I was expecting her to pay the money back. 
and, and, and how immoral it was and how unspiritual and how it was in contradiction to everything I teach about, about grace and peace and the Word of God. Well, again, that's people who create their own definition of justice. Yes. You know, I wasn't trying to get even with her. I mean, I, you know, I had absolute, I, kn I knew the way the court system worked that I'd never get the money because what the court system did is after she paid her legal fees, they said she could pay back this, all of this money at $50 a month. <laughs> yeah. You know how many months that would be? <laughs> 10,000 months. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I sought to protect the innocent. I sought to protect people. I also sought to say to her, you are accountable. And, you know, and you need to face your accountability. You need to deal with your issues, da 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 da, -da. Uh, but, And that's merciful. Yeah, that is merciful. I didn't, I didn't really want merciful. her to go to prison. No. I wasn't trying to get even with her. I was just saying, no. you've got to face this. You, you've got a problem. And yes. based, on how, based on how slick you did this, I can tell you've done this before. Yeah. So, so you know, mercy doesn't end because you want somebody to be accountable. Actually, if you, again, if you have mercy with no accountability, you do not have justice. So uh, let, let's put this in a, let's put this in your home. We're out of time, but let me just say this. So let, let's, let's apply this on our, now on the microcosm. So a parent looks at something a child does. A child does something dysfunctional. If the parent feels sorry for that child, let's say that the father has gone. They got a divorce, father's gone, and this child is acting out, and the mother is saying, well, he's not responsible because he doesn't have a dad. Then what you are doing is you are raising a rebellious child that could grow up to be a criminal who says, who says I can always get by with something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he doesn't have a dad. You know what? Millions of people in the world ain't got a dad. Mm -hmm. But God's word doesn't change. And God's word is not about who's right. God's word is, do you believe God's version of justice could bring this kid to grow up and be a responsible young man, have a better life, not become like his father? All right, then there's the other extreme, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So your child does something and you're so frustrated. Let's say your child just, I don't know, doesn't pick up their toys. And so mm -hmm. you come in and it makes you so angry. You just snatch them up and beat the daylights out of them. Was that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Yeah. No. So, you know, the same parent, you know, the, usually the people who want to go liberal look at how culture is influencing them. The parent that is just frustrated just wants punishment. But neither one of those extremes develops the child to be a responsible child and grow up and have character, ethics, morals, and personal responsibility. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is really good. Okay, Jim. I think we've run out of time. Yeah. Oh, we are out of time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we missed no, a lot. Th no, 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 no. no, no. no. Every, everything everybody, has been very, everybody very important. Everybody is just... Is, uh, right here with us, you know, in this moment. This gives me a lot that I have to mm -hmm. go to and really chew on it for a while. And it's, it's all good. And I just, but how I'm going to apply this to my yeah. life. Right. Yeah. Right. 
and as well, just really seeing the compassion, yes, you know, of God on my life, yeah. and and when I witness the compassion of God on someone else's life, it helps me to understand them. And I've, we've had couples in our office more than once where they've there's been such animosity between them and such friction, but then when that person witnesses their spouse experiencing God and bringing understanding to where where this came from. But not just where it came from, but then experiencing God to bring healing to that place. All of a sudden, the other person wants to move towards them Mm -hmm. because they're understanding. Oh, that's where that came from. And you're choosing to take personal responsibility, but you're also choosing mercy Mm -hmm. and to receive God holding you and loving you and being that nurturer and that comforter. And all of a sudden, that person that just hated them 10 minutes ago is like, Wow, yep. mm. you know, I'm experiencing mercy right, right before my very eyes. Right, but again, it's and it's, understanding. It's not minimizing the truth, right? And and what has happened, right? And the, and the betrayal, yes, and the, and the lies, and yes. the deceptions, you know, right. that have taken place. That's it's right. It's not turning a blind eye. No, to it isn't. No. But it's saying I'll bring you understanding, and I'll walk you out, and I'll walk, we'll walk through this. Yeah. Good. Ooh, good, good, good one. So what yeah. are we going to do next week? This one's this one's going to require a, a couple listens. Yeah, it's going to take me a couple listens. Yeah, well, and I and I wouldn't and, and uh I I'm sure that we'll get people's responses, yep. you know, people writing in and asking uh questions and, you know, uh we'll we'll try to bring but what clarity should we do to next that, week? but it was just extremely helpful. Thank well, you, you know, we can if we want to, we can continue in God providing, you know, after Moses had the experience then God said, now, now I'm going to give you the understanding of what this goodness looks like. And so we can talk about and look at, if we want to, some more of these attributes of the goodness of God. Okay. Okay. I like it. Okay, everyone, just a quick reminder, this has been episode number 136. And, uh, you know, seek to understand. And we'll continue, you know, the conversation in our next episode as well. Be sure to visit worldchangers.com. Come to Huntsville at the end of October. For the heart physics. We're going to be there with Jim. Yep. We'd love to hug you. And it really is an experiential weekend. Yes, you know, it is. that is the the really neat thing about yeah, a heart really physics weekend. Yeah, really looking forward to that. It, it really is an experiential weekend. And this, you know, this year we're going to be talking about meditative prayer. Oh, wow, good. Wow. wow, wow. wow. And yeah. so, so, yeah, check out, go to impactministries.com and, and you, uh, we'll, we'll have a information up. Actually, we're going to begin registration on that and registration on Ultimate Impact just in probably this week. Okay, okay good. Perfect. And so, as, as you're hearing this, make sure that you uh, register early. Uh, you know, the facility that Jim has is a really nice wonderful facility but it is limited yep. and so you want to make sure that you want to you don't don't Grab miss the spot. event Grab get, your, your get your spot okay good love thanks you, jim. jim love thank you. you so much love you guys all right y'all have a good week we'll see you next week Bye-bye.